Good morning again, everyone. We're so glad that you're here today. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We love you guys. Glad you're connected there. Everybody connecting with us online, we're so happy to have that connection with you today as well. We are, in fact, I almost couldn't wait. We're starting a new series today called Love Notes. It goes right along, of course, with February and Valentine's Day and all of that mushy stuff, you know. Uh, but we're going to be talking about love as it's uh, revealed to us and described to us in what is often called the love chapter in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You might want to be turning there for, and holding that for just a moment, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. That We find a, a great description of how God defines love. And all through this series, that's what we're going to be doing. Because the world oftentimes tries to define love for us in a way that's different than the way God defines love. And love is intended by God to be a blessing to us, to, to be something that gives us joy and fulfillment in life, and not sometimes the way the world presents it or teaches us uh, we ought to be living out what we would call love in the eyes of the world. We're going to start out, let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, the whole chapter is something I want you to go back and read as you have opportunity. We're going to focus on just a few verses here, verses 4 through 8, uh, in those very dis descriptive terms that he uses, that Paul uses, for love the way God defines love. Now, if you go back and look, in, in chapter 12, uh, Paul is addressing a problem they were having in the Corinthian church where they were arguing with each other over spiritual gifts and who had the best gift and which gift was the most important gift. And they were getting all puffed up and comparing and bragging and all of that stuff. And Paul is correcting that. He's saying it doesn't matter how gifted you are, how influential you think you are, how powerful you think you are. If you don't have love, you've missed it completely. Love is more important than all those other things. And so then he begins in chapter 13 talking about that importance of love compared to the other things they were thinking were so important. And in verse 4, he says this about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not dishonest. Uh, or does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. Uh, and at the very end of the chapter, in verse 13, he says, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? It's love. Now, we often use these verses, I do, as a pastor when I'm doing weddings. Because this is certainly a good descriptive uh, way of looking at love in a marriage. Uh, this is the kind of love that will hold a couple together, that will strengthen them in their relationship. This kind of love with these characteristics. But this love applies to all of life as a Christ follower. It will apply to your marriage. It should apply to your marriage relationship. But friendships and, and parent-child relationships and relationships with friends and family and co-workers, it's, it's the way we're supposed to love because it's the way God loves us. And so we're going to break it down into these uh, individual descriptive terms over the next uh, several weeks and, and look at defining and living out the kind of love that God wants us to have. Someone once said this, patience comes to those who wait. 
I hope you caught that. I couldn't wait to preach this message. I decided I was going to have it later in the series, but I had to just go ahead and do it today. We're talking today about patience as that key, one of the key characteristics of love. Love is what? Patient. Maybe you uh, read about the kindergarten teacher that was helping one of her students. Uh, he was trying to get his boots on, having a really hard time. So she went over, and they really struggled. I mean, she worked up a sweat just getting those boots on that little boy's feet. And, and uh, he, he was just struggling, too. He was pulling. She was pushing. Finally, she got him on there. And the little boy looked down. And he said, teacher, they're on the wrong feet. She looked down, and sure enough, they were on the wrong feet. So she helped them get the boots back off again, and it was just as hard getting them back off again. And so she swapped the positions and really struggled. It was hard getting them back on, finally got them back on again. And, and she just breathed a sigh of relief, and she said, and the little boy said, uh, these aren't my boots. The teacher said, oh, man. So she worked. You know, she, she bit her tongue, didn't say what she wanted to say. She started pulling off the boots again, finally got the boots off. And as soon as she got them off, the little boy said, they're my brother's boots. My mom made me wear them today. <laughs> She's really getting frustrated, you know, trying to hold her temper, really worked hard again, got the boots back on again. And, and it really was a hard time again. They barely just got them on. They were so tight. And she says, okay, now where are your mittens? He said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> Have you ever had a day like that, right? A moment like that or weeks like that or a year like that, right? I, I do pretty well with patience a lot of times, but there are certain things that I have more trouble with when it comes to being patient, traffic is one of those things for me, just driving in traffic and the way people drive out there and all of that. And, and now it's like a Mario Kart out there with the potholes and everything. People are just, you know, going all over the place trying to dodge the potholes. And, and, and if I get into a traffic jam, it's just hard for me. If I don't see movement, if I don't see things at least progressing a little bit, it's hard for me to hold on to my patience. And so it's good for all of us, I think, no matter where you're at in this process, for all of us to learn more about what God means when he says love is patient. There's a lot of different ways people have tried to define patience. One is this. Uh, actually, the Greek word that is used in, in 1 Corinthians 13 uh, is an interesting word. It means it takes a long time to boil. Taking a long time to boil. I like that. When you're thinking about patience, you don't just, you're not hot-tempered. It's not just right away you lose your temper, you know. You're, you're more patient than that. Uh, other people have defined it different ways. The ability to accept delay or disappointment graciously. You see, it's not just waiting. It's waiting graciously with the right attitude without losing your temper. Uh, it's also been defined as the self-restraint which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. Right? When somebody does something wrong to you, how quick are you to snap back and do something as bad or worse back to them? Patience will help us do a better job with that if we can develop this godly patience. Uh, somebody said it this way, it's the ability to count down before blasting off. It's pretty good. The ability to count down before blasting off. It's a lot easier to define it, I think, than it is to practice it. And so with each of these attributes described in 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to go uh, to other passages as well in Scripture where we have more explanation and breakdown of the teaching from God about what that attribute really means according to God. 
Today I want to look at uh, a passage in the book of James, if you'll be turning there in the New Testament. If you're in 1 Corinthians now, just go to the right a little ways there. You can get to the book of James. And in James chapter 5, we're going to look at a passage where James is addressing the Christians of that time who were going through persecution. And any time we're having something unpleasant going on, it tests our patience, right? Whether it's having to wait in traffic, or you've got an extended illness, or you've got some, uh, some struggle in a marriage and it's not getting better, or you've got kids in rebellion and, and you're praying for them and trying to give them counsel, they're not listening, right? The longer that goes on, the harder it is to maintain patience, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And in James 5, he, he begins to explain to those Christians that are going through that persecution that there's value to being patient through it, even the hard things. That, there's, that God's using that. He's working through that if you let him. And you'll be patient through the process. Be patient with God. Be patient with the circumstances that you're going through. I want to read through it first, and then we'll go back and break it down a little bit. Begin with verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simply yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. Now, I love the book of James because he's so to the point in how he writes. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but he has his own style and approach to it. And he, he is to the point and plain and simple. It's not hard to understand what James is talking about when you read this book. And, and so James is addressing this idea that we're going through hard things and they're letting it, obviously James wouldn't be addressing this if they weren't letting their circumstances cause them to lose their patience. They weren't handling it really well. And so James is reminding them. I want to look at three things in particular that James uh, talks about here. The first one is, I believe he's emphasizing how we need to learn the value of waiting. And he breaks it down in a couple of ways here. Uh, the value of waiting. The first one is, when you are able to be patient, then you can remain steadfast under trial if you learn to be patient. Steadfast means you, you stay steady with where you need to be. You're not wavering back and forth based on the circumstances of your life at the moment. Your faith is the same under trial as it is when everything's going well. That's steadfast, right? It's consistent. It's not up and down all the time. It doesn't mean any of us are perfect at this and we're never going to have ups and downs. Of course we are. Emotionally, we're going to feel ups and downs and discouragement and encouragement. We're going to go through those emotions. But if we have a solid faith, it will carry us through those things and keep us steadfast in our devotion to the Lord. 
as I was preparing this series and working on this message in particular, I just kept having things come to my mind that people in our church family are going through and have been going through recently. Uh, remember, Jesus was honest about it. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials, struggles. And I thought about our church family, those that I know about. And I don't know about all the struggles that people are going through, but I know about a lot of them. There, there are a lot of people in our church family that are hurting right now and have been hurting for a long time with some of their circumstances that they're going through. We've got lots of families over the past few months that have suffered loss of loved ones, a lot of them. A couple of families have had more than one death within a short period of time within their family that they're dealing with the loss and the hurt, the grief that comes with that. We've got people that are going through prolonged illnesses in our church family. They've been dealing with it for a long time. Uh, they got a diagnosis a long time ago, and they've been battling it for a while now, and they're having to go through treatments, and if they've had surgeries, they're recovering from surgeries, and if they're recovering from surgeries, a lot of them are going through physical rehab uh, processes that are painful and hard to go through. I mean, we've got people at all stages of that, and it's been going on for a long time for a lot of them. We've got people dealing with broken relationships, people that have suffered through a divorce and they're still facing the consequences. People think, oh, we're going to have a friendly divorce. And, and you say that on the front end, but even in a friendly divorce, friends, the consequences go on after that. If you have children, they, the consequences are passed on to the children, right? It's, it goes on and on. For the next generation and the next generation, they're still dealing with that. The consequences of that is hard. It can wear on you. Every family get together, every event, weddings, funerals, all that, you have to be together and all that. It's... It just complicates everything. God's grace is enough, but it's hard, right? We've got families that are going through broken relationships other than divorce with uh, a single people that have been hurt by others that they were in a relationship with and it didn't work out and, and there's hurt and grief that goes along with that. We've got people that have been dealing with couples wanting a child and they've been trying and they haven't been able to have a child. And, and they see other people celebrating their babies and their births. And you see baby dedications at the church. And here they are sitting there wishing they could have a baby. And it hasn't happened for them yet. Right? It's a struggle. How do you stay patient going through all that? We've got single people that would love to be married, that would love to find a godly spouse. And they're praying and they're looking. And maybe they tested the waters a little bit and it just hasn't worked out. And they still don't have that spouse. They thought they'd be married by now, and it's been a long time, and they're still not married, and they're wondering, what's, what's wrong? Why is it this happening for me? We've got people dealing with financial burdens that seem to go on and on and on. There doesn't seem to be any end to it. They don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. They're really trying to get back on top, but something always keeps happening that sets them back again, and they just can't seem to get a handle on it. And it's just weighing on them month after month with the bills that are due, and they don't know how they're going to pay all their bills. We've got people that are dealing with children that are in rebellion, and it's breaking the parents' hearts, and they're wanting to see their children come back to the Lord and come back and be part of the church family. And and, and use their gifts and abilities to honor him, and it's just not happening. And they're trying to be patient and hold on and keep praying, but it's hard when you don't see any results yet. Patience is a tough thing 
We've got people that are in families where a spouse or a child is deployed in the military and you haven't heard for a little while how they're doing and you're wondering how everything's going for them and you don't know if they're going to get back safe or not. We've got people who have made a commitment to go back to school because they didn't finish their degree and they're trying to get that done because they think it'll bless their family but the financial part of it is hard and the time element is so hard and they're they're trying to work it in and still take care of their family and and raise their kids and all that and they're still they're trying to better themselves but but it's just too much some days how do you stay patient and steadfast when you're going through all of those things we've got part of our family uh a man that was in an automobile accident, paralyzed from the waist down, and he's been going through effort after effort after effort to be able to walk again. He's made a little progress, but he's not there, and he's still not able to walk on his own. Do you stay patient and steadfast when it's not happening according to your plan and your schedule, your hopes, your dreams of what you thought it was going to be like only godly patience can help you do that can get you through that and it's only because you love god like that that you're willing to be patient through those things you see that's an attribute of love patience is love is patient if you love god you'll be willing to be patient if you love your spouse you'll be willing and committed to being patient. If you love your children, you'll be willing and committed to being patient. If you love your, your friends and your family and your coworkers, you'll be willing to be more patient with them. And again, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect at this, but, but you'll be steadfast in your faith because, because of your love for God and your love for others connected to your love for God. And he adds a, an element to this to remind them of something really important there's value in being patient you need to remain steadfast under trial patience will help you do that but he's but he adds another element the lord's coming is near now near to us means uh, every generation has thought this if the lord's coming near it means uh, within my lifetime, or at least, you know, within the next few years, or within the next few months, or maybe this week, he's going to come back. And, and, and if you're really anticipating the Lord's coming, it could be a really exciting thing until another day goes by, and another days go by, and, and a week goes by, and another year goes by. And when he said this, it was almost 2,000 years ago, and he said the Lord's coming is near 2,000 years ago. Right? So what does he mean? Why, why should we be patient? Why does he even tell them 2,000 years ago the Lord's coming is near? Well, there are a couple of elements to it here. The translation, the Lord's coming is near, means it's at hand. Okay, it, It's right there on the precipice. You can see it. You can taste it. You can smell it. Right, It's right there. It's near. And in our perspective, the way we measure time and the way we measure our lives, near seems different than maybe the way he's talking about it. The Lord's coming is near is that idea that everything on God's part is ready. Everything on Jesus' part is ready. He's at the door. He's ready to come as soon as the Father says, go, he goes. 
And it will happen in an instant, in a moment, and there won't be any in-between time. And that's the point he's making, is stay patient, hold on, because at any moment, Jesus could appear. Is it that little motivation to stay on track? What do you want to be doing when the Lord appears? What do you, where do you want to be? What activity do you want to be involved in when, bam, there he is, and there's no more time? There's no more opportunity to get it right, to get on track, to get back to where you needed to be all along. So that's why he's saying it will help you to be patient when you understand the Lord's return is at hand. It could be at any moment. That's some good motivation there, right? So the Lord's coming is near. He's always near, but it especially refers to his coming again. Now that phrase also means... He's near you all the time, which means that you're not going through this by yourself. He's, he's right there, too. You're hurting right now? Can he understand what it's like to hurt? Yeah. You feel lost right now? Did, did he experience loss? Yeah, he did. You're facing temptation right now? Did he face temptation, too? Yeah. The Bible says he was tempted and tried in every way that we are, yet without sin. So if we need some help with this, who's, who's more than qualified to help us? Jesus is. And can we find Jesus if we want to look for him? Yeah, he's right there. He's been there the whole time. He's near to all of us. He said, if you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. He's right there for us. You just have to seek him with your heart. Sincerely seek him, his help, his presence, his power, his provision. The Lord is near. So we start out from James learning the value of waiting. But then he gives us, I love the way James does this. He gives us examples. That's part of what he does through the whole book is gives us practical examples where we can understand what he's talking about. So then he talks about the second thing that he really emphasized here is two signs of impatience that he sees in the Corinthian church that's happening right now. Two signs of impatience. And, and, and this gives us something we could test ourselves with, okay? If we want to see if we're really, because sometimes we claim to be patient people when we're doing these things that show we're not really being patient, okay? Here's one sign of patience, of impatience, grumbling. He talks about the Israelites in the desert, the way they grumbled. Do you realize that there was a whole generation of Israelites that grumbled in the desert, that did not get to go into the promised land? Wow. They, they could have. They witnessed a lot of amazing things that God did, but as soon as things didn't go the way they wanted them to, they started grumbling against God and against Moses, who was leading them out. Think about it. They went through the plagues. And saw God take care of them through all the plagues. 
Uh, the last one, of course, the tenth plague, was the death of the firstborn. And if they put the blood over the doorpost of their house, the death angel passed over their house. That's how they got the celebration of the Passover. Death did not come to their homes. God was showing them, if you're covered by the blood of the lamb, you're going to be protected and covered and cared for. And so those families experienced that. And they saw all the other plagues and how God took care of them and how he got Pharaoh to let them go. And then they got to the Red Sea. And what did they start doing? Grumbling and complaining. Brought us out here to die, Moses. Like God couldn't handle this one after they just went through the ten plagues and saw everything God had handled already. But this is different, God. You brought us out here to die. We would have been better off staying in Egypt. All they did while they were in Egypt was what? Grumble. Complain. We don't belong here. We shouldn't be here. This is not right. We're God's people. We shouldn't have to suffer. And when God delivers them, what do they do? They grumble. Right? Then they saw them part the sea. They crossed over on dry land. That wasn't the end of it. Then they saw them pull the waters back and drown the Egyptian army so they couldn't pursue them anymore. And they got off to the other side and they sang God's praises until they had to travel a little bit again. And they didn't have all the stuff they wanted and the food they wanted like they wanted it. And what did they start doing again? Uh, just press and repeat, right? It's just over and over again. It just happened over and over again. That cycle, they would grumble and complain. God kept his promises and God was faithful. They would come back and thank God and praise God. And then as soon as any bad thing happened again, what are they doing again? Grumbling and complaining. Boy, it's easy to point the finger at those Israelites. They were just such bad people. They should have gotten it better than that. They should have understood. And here we are, knowing that Jesus died on the cross for us at the first sign of trouble. What do we do? Grumble and complain. <laughs> That's why James is saying, guys, you need to be patient in the face of suffering. Persevere. Hold on. God has proven himself to you over and over again. Quit your grumbling. But you know what? We don't just do it with God. I see it in marriages all the time. Ah, oh, we planned so much for the wedding, that wedding day. We want it to be perfect and everything just go well. And it's a beautiful ceremony. And, you know, we, we, uh, we, we want everything to be great. And then... We have to actually do life together. You know, you go home with each other and you spend all that time with each other. It's not like dating anymore. In fact, we now have a culture that so lacks patience that we won't even wait till the wedding. We just, we're going to go ahead and be sexually active. We're going to go ahead and move in together. We're just going to jump ahead all those steps. We're not patient enough to do it in the order God says to do it. And then we still grumble and complain even when we jump ahead and do it our way. And the divorce rates when we do it the other way are actually higher than they are with the people who did it God's way. We just thought we were going to do it better. We grumble and complain. God's being too demanding. He's asking too much of us to wait. So we're going to do it our own way, the way the world's doing it, because that'll be better. And it's proven to be worse in lasting marriages. Now, again, God's grace is sufficient if we didn't follow God's plan. There's grace and there's forgiveness, but couldn't we learn a little patience through the process? When we understand God 
God is faithful to his promises. He says grumbling, and then he talks about something else that uh, he warns them not to do. And it's confusing a little bit, the way we use the term today. He says in verse 12, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Just a simple yes or no. And when we say swear, in our culture today, we're usually talking about using uh, what we call curse words, right? Swearing. And that was part of what this is talking about because oftentimes when they swore on an oath, they would, to add emphasis, they would use words like curse words or something like that. Like Peter when he denied Christ. If you read the record carefully, he denied him three times. And the last time, he did it with what they called cursing in one translation uh, because he used language that was very, uh, in their culture at that time, not welcome in the public circle very much. Today... We use it that way, too, with cursing. But in this culture, in this uh, context, uh, he, when he says don't swear, he's also talking about swearing on earth. Like, I, I swear to God I'm going to do this, right? I swear to God I'm going to stick with this this time. I swear to God I'm going to be faithful to my marriage. I swear. He, he said, just do it. Just, just do what you say you're going to do, right? But when we're impatient, not only do we swear like that, but we swear the way he's talking about here, too, which is... God, if you do this, I swear I'll do that. We try to make a deal with God. God, you get me through this, I promise I'll go to church all the time. God, you provide this for me, I'll start giving to the church the way I'm supposed to give if you provide this financially that I need right now. You know, we make deals with God, or we try to make deals with God. And, and what James is saying is, don't let your impatience cause you to start trying to finagle like that. Just, just do what you're supposed to do to start with. Just be the person you're supposed to be, that steadfast, faithful person, no matter what circumstances you're facing. Then you don't have to make any deals, right? You're not even tempted to make any deals, to swear on any oaths. You committed your life to Christ, so now what are you going to do? I'm going to walk with Christ. I'm going to follow his teaching. I'm going to be actively involved in the life of the church because I am the church, right? That's who I am. You don't have to make any deals after that. You just live out that life. And so patience is valuable because it's what allows you to live that out. And you won't have that kind of patience without the kind of love he's talking about here for God and for others. When you love God this way, you're more willing to be patient through the hard things and the struggles and you're less likely to be a grumbling, critical kind of person uh, and, and a, a person who's swearing. Uh, and it does apply, the, the way the language is used here, to bad language too, to the using words that you shouldn't be using. Uh, we live in a culture today that's one of the most harsh, vocally harsh cultures I've ever seen in the history of people on earth. Where cuss words are used just casually all the time in everyday conversation around little kids all the time. As if there's no problem with it, it's no big deal. And yet James oftentimes connects the heart and the tongue together in his teaching. You know, what comes out of your mouth originated in your heart. It reveals what's in your heart. Be careful of the words that you use. Use only words that are building up and encouraging, not tearing down and destroying. And so we do need to guard our language even when we're impatient. The reason I bring that up is because a lot of people start using language they don't normally use when they get impatient. 
right? When they've had to wait and it didn't go their way, they start cursing about it. Have you ever seen a driver that's lost, a, you know, road rage? Yeah. Only they don't go, they don't just stop with the cursing. They, they go to physical violence many times. That's what impatience will do to you. A lack of loving with this characteristic of patience will cause you to do things like that that harm yourself and harm others. That's why it's so important. Well, then James also in this passage we just read gives us three examples of patience that he would like for us to remember. I, I love that because I, I learn a lot that way by example. That's, that's part of how I'm a learner like that. Uh, when you tell me something, I, I want to understand the words, but I also want to see or hear or know how, how does that look, right? How does that, how is that played out? So he gives us some examples of people that demonstrated the kind of patience he's talking about that is connected to love, okay? He uses the example of the farmer. Remember? L look at the farmer, he says. He waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Could he control the autumn and spring rains? No. He could control part of the farming process, couldn't he? There were some things he was supposed to do if he's going to raise a crop. What are some things a farmer is supposed to do? Plow the land. Plant the seed, right? Take care of the plants when they start growing. Harvest when it's time to harvest. There's, the farmer has a part here, but can the farmer control everything else? No. Just like in life, that's what he's talking about. When we love God, there's stuff we're supposed to be doing because we love God. So we need to be doing those things. But we do those things with the understanding that what can, we can't control everything else. We can only control us doing what God teaches us to do. You can't even control anybody else doing what God tells us to do. Who's the only one you can control with that? Yourself. Now, you could teach and you could encourage, but you can't control the response of the other person. That's one of the hardest things about parenting, right, and loving your kids. You teach, you instruct, you try to set the example, and they will still many times choose to do it a different way. You can't control that. And God didn't tell you to control that. That's not even your job. We really wear ourselves out mentally and physically trying to control stuff that God didn't give us that assignment to do. We're not the ones in control of those things. I, uh, Sue Ann and I talk about this all the time. When we, we tend to complain about the weather all the time, don't we? We just had all the ice and snow and the cold weather. I don't like cold. I don't. I'd rather have heat anytime. I'm more a 90-degree person than I am a zero-degree person by far, okay? I just, I like heat better than I do the cold. And so the temptation is always when it gets cold, what am I tempted to do? Complain, right? Go to the beach. That's good. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's a good answer. No, uh, I do like to go to the beach. But here's the thing. I live in a place where it's going to get cold sometime. In fact, I live on a planet that was created by who? And he created it with what? Different temperatures and seasons and rains and dry spells and cold snaps and heat waves. He's, he created it with all of that. He's the one in control of that. Instead of me going around grumbling and complaining... I need to learn to appreciate God's magnificent creation and understand that he's got a plan and a purpose for everything and he can work all things together for our good. 
even the hard things that we don't like. There may be some value to me learning to have to deal with the cold sometimes. I haven't figured it out yet, but there may be some value to that. And in the meantime, I need to be steadfast and patient in my love for God and my love for others, regardless of the weather, right? And so should all of us. So the farmer gives us a great example. He has certain responsibilities just like we do as Christ followers, but we can't control everything. So let's just do what we're responsible for with a good attitude, without grumbling and complaining. Let's stay steadfast. Let's be patient, even when it's not going the way we want it to go in the time we want it to go. The farmer can't control all of that either, but if he's patient and he just does the stuff he's supposed to do, then God is responsible for the increase that comes. And he has to trust that with God, just like we do. And then he uses the example of the Old Testament prophets. And sometimes we think of Old Testament prophets and we think, wow, what great godly people. They, they just had amazing lives and they were so influential and people just listened to them and, and, and learned from them. And you haven't read much of the Old Testament if that's all you think about Old Testament prophets. Almost all of them were persecuted. Almost all of them had hard lives. Almost all of them had to make great sacrifices to do what God had called them to do, to speak out for him as a prophet on his behalf. Now, there were times where they were honored too, yes, but there were times when they suffered great persecution. In Hebrews, uh, it reports in Hebrews 11, some of the things they went through, they were tortured, ridiculed, flogged, thrown in prison, stoned, sawed in two, put to death by the sword, uh, had to had out, hide out in caves. They were poor, many of them and destitute, yet they were commended for their faith, and they didn't even see the coming of Jesus in their lifetime. And they still stayed steadfast. And the role God had given them were patient, through all of that mistreatment that they endured. Most of us haven't faced anything like that, friends. And yet we're wishy-washy in our faith. We're not steadfast in our walk with Christ. At the least little trouble that comes our way, we're bailing out. We're not continuing to walk in the path God has called us to. Friends, if we love God, truly love God, one sign of loving God is being patient in suffering, steadfast and true to our commitment to Him. Same thing is true in a marriage, friends, and a, a friendship. When things get rocky, if you really love scripturally, then you're willing to stay steady, steadfast, hold on. It doesn't mean you say everything's okay. It doesn't mean you act like, the other person, if they're doing something wrong, that that's okay. That's not what this means. It means you control yourself in that relationship to be what you're supposed to be in that relationship. It might not work out even then, but what have you still done? You've honored God. You've stayed steadfast. You've been what God called you to be through that process. That's what God is calling us to in godly patience. I... Uh, I, I love this third example, too, that he gives. You've heard this phrase probably a lot if you're around church people especially, but a lot of people not even connected to church will use this phrase. Some of them don't even know what it, they're talking about. The patience of Job, right? He talks about Job here. He mentions Job and the patience that Job had. 
Job, I want you to go back and read the book of Job, not for an uplifting fun day, okay? It's not going to take you there. It's going to be hard to see all that happened. Satan got permission from God to go and test and try Job, and Satan put him through it. He put him through so many hard things. And I just want to summarize a couple of things, though, that God did in response to that. It tells us some numbers here in the book of Job. Go back and read it later. It says uh, he had 7,000 sheep that Satan took from him. God gave him back how many? 14,000 sheep. Doubled it. It says that he had 3,000 camels. Back then, that was a valuable thing. God gave him back how many? 6,000 camels. He had 500 yoke of oxen. God gave him how many back? A thousand yoke of oxen because he was patient, right? He held on. He had 10 children. And God took those. I mean, Satan took those from him, but God gave him back 10 children. Why didn't he double that? Because God is gracious and compassionate. That's why. <laughs> right? <laughs> He wanted to bless them, not hurt them, right? <laughs> All of these examples teach us something we need to remember with our love for God and being patient through the things we have to go through. All suffering is temporary in this world. I don't care what it is, it's temporary. Because this world is temporary, and everything in this world is temporary. Only three things will remain out of this world, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of those things is what? Love. Hold on to your love for God. Be patient as you go through the struggles that you're going through. Because it is without question that these things are not going to go on forever. God has something so much better planned. And I love how the scripture talks about it over and over again in Romans 8, verse 18. He says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He's not making light of our present suffering, but what's coming after this is so much better. It doesn't even compare with whatever suffering we've had to go through. Well, you don't know how bad it is for me, Pastor. Well, God does. And he's the one that said, what I've got for you after this is so much better, you won't even be able to compare it with what you're going through right now that's so temporary. I love what he said in 2 Peter 3, verse 8. People were already, even as Peter wrote this letter, they were already saying, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why, if God said he was coming back, Jesus said he was coming back. He's not back yet. God didn't keep his promise. They're already complaining about God not doing this. And Peter's answering that. He says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Time means nothing to God. It does to us, and God knows that. And that's why he's with us through all of this. And that's why all of this is only temporary, because he knows time matters to us. But to God, it doesn't. He's eternal. He always has been. He always will be. There is no time passing for him. So we don't have to think the way the world thinks when it comes to the coming of Jesus. But he goes on to say this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's what? Patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to what? But everyone to come to what? Oh, there's a plan in the delay. There's a purpose in the delay of the coming of Jesus. He's wanting to give more and more people the chance, the opportunity to turn from sin and be prepared when Jesus comes back. And he's giving us, the church, more and more opportunity to share the good news of Jesus, to help more and more people get prepared for the appearance of Jesus. He's just giving us another day to get more people to be ready for the coming of Jesus. But he does say this. Look, he went on to say this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth uh, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt with heat. But in keeping with His promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you the wisdom that God gave him. The greatest example of patience that we could ever have is the patience of the Lord with us. Had he not been patient with me, he would have destroyed me a long time ago. Had he not been patient with me, I would have been condemned to hell forever. But he extended me patience. He gave me the opportunity to come to know and follow Jesus. When I've gotten off track, he's given me the opportunity to repent and get back on track again. He's done that for you too. You see, why did God do that for me and for you? Because of his love. That's why God is patient. Because he loves us. And so if we're going to love like God, then we're going to have to have his help to develop and maintain patience and how we deal with each other and things of the world that don't go our way. We need to develop a strong, steadfast patience and continuing to walk with the Lord and trust Him through anything and everything that we have to face in this temporary world that we're in right now. Because our lives are so much more than just this temporary existence. We're all going to exist for eternity. We all are living eternal souls. And this is just a speck of our lives compared to the rest of it. Let's hold on for this time. Let's be patient with this time. Let's do the right thing in this time as we look forward to the rest of our time in the presence of God and the new heaven and the new earth where there's no more sin, there's no more curse, there's no more death, there's no more dying, there's no more sickness, there's no more pain. All of that's going to be eliminated in that new world that new existence. Let's hold on long enough to get to the reward that's waiting for us on the other side. I want to close with a story. You may have heard it. There was a lady who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and uh, she knew that she didn't have much time left. She could see it progressing, so she called her pastor to come over to the house to make the final arrangements. She wanted to be involved in making the arrangements for her funeral and everything. So she went over the songs that she wanted to have sung and 
Um, she went over the scriptures that she wanted to have read and what she wanted to wear and all of that. And, and uh, it got time where she thought she'd covered everything and the pastor got up to go, said, I assure you we'll take care of those things and do the service the way you want and it'll be a great witness. And the pastor started to leave and she said, oh, wait, wait, one more thing I almost forgot. Uh, when, when, uh, when I'm in the casket, I want it to be an open casket and I want people to pass by and I want you to do something for me. Make sure you put a fork in my right hand. And the pastor was really puzzled and said, a fork in your right hand? He said, yeah, I want to have a fork in my right hand as people pass by the casket and look at me in the casket there. She said, I could tell you're puzzled by that. I want to tell you why. I said, my grandmother uh, told me this and I, and I really loved it and I, and I want to be that give that story to other people said uh, I can remember as a little girl growing up that I'd go to like uh, church socials and I would go to family reunions and big events where we had a lot of food and everything and we would eat and the main course would be cleared away and someone would lean in and say hold on to your fork she said I knew what that meant that meant some good dessert was coming right hold on to your fork because something good is coming she said, when people pass by my casket and they see me holding that fork, they're going to be confused. They're going to wonder what in the world's going on. Pastor, I want you to tell them to hold on to their fork because the best is yet to come. Hold on just a little longer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in Christ we know the best is yet to come. Oh, there's blessing here. There's joy here. There's good things here. But there are hard things too, Father. It's the curse of sin. It's the problem of sin in the world that's brought all of this suffering and this pain. But Jesus came to be the cure for sin. And he's given us the answer that we need so that we can know with confidence that if we will hold on and be patient because we love you and thank you for what you've done, then the best is yet to come. In Christ, we have so much to look forward to here in this world and in eternity. Father, I pray if someone is ready to take that step to surrender themselves to the call of God in their lives, I pray, Father, that your spirit would lead them to take those steps even today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.